This is the Bob McCowan Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Richard Deitch back in for Bob this week. And Richard, the Toronto Blue Jays have now been outscored 26 to 7 in three games so far in this series against the Texas Rangers. You did not pay. You did not pay. You do not have the right to boo. Yeah, I mean, this uh, this series has not gone, or this series has gone about as poorly as any uh, series of this magnitude can uh, can go. You you will feel a little bit better if you're a Blue Jays fan if they can win tonight. Um, so it's not a sweep, but. <laughs> there's very little signs, John, from this team that give you any indication that they're going to make the playoffs right now. Well, and that, and, and that is the roller coaster of emotion that uh, Jays fans, sports fans across the country have, uh, because after the, the the sweep of the Royals, everybody thought it was a done deal, and actually thought. I, I and I went to game. I went to the game Monday night uh, with a friend, and, and he said, "Don't worry about it." They're in the playoffs. Now it's just vying for what position. And here we are three days later and they're out of the playoff picture and they have to find a way to turn it around. There has to be something that turns it around because you, you do have to wonder um, if, if this team does not make the playoffs, uh, what happens both to the roster and perhaps to a couple of bodies in the front office. Yeah, no, I think wholesale changes come if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, it'll be and and and, and remember, this was a year that was supposed to be the the carrot on the stick for the new stadium and the new pricing and everything like that. So this was supposed to be that catalyst that justified spending all the money on the roster and spending all the money in the remodel. The one good thing about baseball is that it's not a cliche. There still is time to turn this around. What is troubling is that there are no signs at all that exist at the moment where you actually believe they'll turn it around. Well, today we're going to talk about the Jays. We're going to talk a little bit about the Maple Leafs, and we're going to talk about news. Uh, we're going to be joined by uh, a good friend, uh, a man who has... Uh, seen it all in the political world in Canada and a bit in around the world. Uh, Peter Mansbridge, who was the anchor for the CBC National News for oh so many years, joins us. Uh, and he has an interesting take on sports. And uh, you know what? Hell with it. We might even talk a bit of politics today on the show. Richard Deitch, John Shannon, the McCowan Podcast with Peter Mansbridge coming up. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, 
Contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCallum Podcast. Richard in for Bob this week and uh, joined by Peter Mansbridge, the voice and face of CBC News for oh so many years, but uh, I got to know Peter more as a hockey fan and a baseball fan over the years that we worked in the same building together. And Peter, I got to ask you, top of mind, uh, this is this is a baseball team in Toronto that is 15 games over 500, and they got booed off the field last night. Can you imagine being A, that good, and B, that frustrated? I know. I, it, I couldn't watch the end of it last night, quite frankly. You know, this is a team that um, a year ago had the hitting but not the pitching. This year, for the most part, we've got the pitching, but the hitting, is, especially in the last kind of month or so, has been well, whatever happened uh, to these guys. Um, and, you know, and then the pitching kind of collapsed in this series against Texas, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, it, <laughs> as you know who said, it ain't over till it's over, and uh, they're just going to turn it around, that's all. And, and we'll look back at this as a as a hiccup on the road if they are able to turn it around. But um, the fans have got to, you know, fans have got to be fans. The, this thing, in, and it happens in Toronto, right? We've seen it with the Leafs. We've seen it now with the Jays. We've never seen it with the Raptors, which is a different crowd. Very different crowd at the Raptors games. Um, but it's, you know, you don't want to see it. You didn't want to see them remember throwing the jersey on the ice, the Leafs games, that kind of stuff. Come on, you know, we're, uh, we've got a good team there. They're, they're having a, a couple of days of a bad run. Hopefully they can, uh, they can turn it around. To me, like, I, I'm generally speaking, like, <clears throat> booing never solves anything fans have a right to do it i mean I, I i sort of subscribe to that if you pay your ticket you have a right to express your feelings though it it's if you ever step back and think about it it's not motivating it does it's just it's kind of useless in terms of your uh what you ultimately want but and here's the thing about this team peter at least from my perspective and i've watched since i've been here since 20 uh since 2018 almost every blue jays game you know, maybe missed a couple here or there, but for the most part, I've, I've, I've watched every game. I like watching them. And I think they're an interesting team. This year has been, if you're an observer or a fan, so joyless and so frustrating, which is such a odd thing to say about a team that is 15 games over 500. Like I, I wish I could, I wish I had the elegance of the words to say it, but I feel as if I am watching a team that's like the Royals, like 30 games out or something like that, you know, where the season has ended in June. But the irony is you are exactly right. If they put together like a six game winning streak, we are having a different conversation next We've week. We've been saying that all year, Richard. We've been just, saying that look, all like year. My, my larger point is, John, I've never, ex it's, I've never experienced a season where it feels so doom and gloom for a team that is legitimately in the middle of a playoff race. I, I wish I could understand it. And maybe it's because they haven't had a winning streak, but it is, it is the absolute weirdest baseball season I've seen in some time. Yeah. The, um, you know, I, I try to figure out in any sport, what's actually happening behind what we see, like what's happening in the, um, 
in the dressing room? What's happening between the players? Are, are there problems in the dressing room? Um, uh, you know, I don't know that there are. There, maybe there aren't. Uh, at the end of the weekend series against whoever it was that we took three out of three games in a row. Royals. And, uh, and the, the Royals, that's right. And they were really excited. And at the end of the game, you know, they do this thing where they drag one of the players out and uh, interview him outside the dugout. And it was Kiermaier that they, they pulled out. And he didn't want to listen to any questions. So he just took the mic away from, I think, Garden Swelling. And he did this spiel, which was a crowd, uh, you know, to, to, to raise the emotions in the crowd. We're going to do it. You got to be with us. Let's go. We're all for it. I mean, it was great. And I thought, wow, where's that coming from? I haven't seen that from anybody other than the silly uh, Vlad dumping ice on people's heads. Some, one of these times, somebody's going to turn around and slug him for that. It looked, <laughs> I thought it was going to be Mer Merrifield earlier in the season. It looked like he'd had it. He was sick of it. But uh, anyway, what I saw from Kiermaier was the first time I'd seen anything like that, I think, where he talked directly to the crowd. He didn't care what the questions were. He was trying to get the crowd motivated even more than they already were after a three-game streak, a great weekend, a big series coming up. And then all of that kind of disappeared. They were suddenly flat again, it, yeah. it, it, not just in the hitting, not just in some of the pitching, but they just but looked the, flat. They didn't look like they cared. The, here's the thing, Peter. They should have beat Kansas City, and they did beat Kansas City, you know, full marks. They should have beat Kansas City like the Rangers have beat the Jays. Yeah. They should have yeah. outscored them 26 to 7. And that's the expect that is the expectation of this team with all this firepower, all these big bats. We've been talking about Bo Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero getting 30 to 40 million dollars. That's not going to happen. You know, we've been talking about Rogers has to open the purse and pay all this money. Well, you know what? If I'm Edward Rogers and I'm watching this team and I'm seeing the frustration, I'm saying, okay, Mark, okay, Ross, we're going to spend some money, but I'm not sure we're spending as much as you want. Because slow down, slow down John. It's that that might be, I mean, you're still dealing with 24, 25 year old franchise pieces. I mean, people have bad years. Well, people have bad years, but but maybe. Maybe Bo. Maybe and Bo's Vlad's not having a bad year. Four. Bo got hurt. I mean, Bo was having. Oh, Bo's, a Bo's been hurt. Bo's been hurt a couple times. There's no no doubt, no question. But Vladdy, maybe maybe the 46, 47 home run years, the outlier. Maybe this is Vladdy. What do you think, Peter? Yeah. I don't think so. I think this is an well, outlier year for him. I think you know. I could go back to the ice bucket thing. I think <laughs> Vladdy should start wondering why he's not the guy getting the ice board over his head. Yeah, right maybe, like why isn't maybe. he the hero of the game um where everybody expects he should be you keep seeing him come up with people on the base now mind you he's been a, become a good singles hitter uh of late but you expect him to, to send it out of the park and it, it hasn't been happening at the regularity that clearly jay's fans want but here's the other way of looking at it. when you're talking about salaries and people and what will what will the rogers people do at the end of this year Two of the players have had the best season this year, right? I mean, leave, leave Bo aside, uh, Bo's Bo. Um, you have Merrifield, mm -hmm. and you have Kiermaier. These guys are out of here at the end of this year, or they're going to have to pay a 
ton of money for them, right? I think say. I think there's a belief internally that they're going to get Merrifield done for three years. I really do. I think yeah, Merrifield has have to uh, pay him a lot of money. Yeah, Merrifield has a player option that's um, 18 million or so. So they'd have right. to rework that. Uh, the one thing about Kiermaier, though, I would say to both you guys, and and again, I think he's 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 obviously just amazing fielder. He's had a really good year. He right. he, there is an age issue there, and I don't know how many teams would be interested in signing him for multiple years. But it's going to cost you more than. Um, than it did this year. The one thing with all of this in terms of money and Rogers is if they don't break the bank for Matt Chapman and he goes, they, you know, they, they do have money. Ryu comes off the books. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they can, they can figure it out. The, the other thing I wanted to just point out for this year, and this is something that the fans have been talking about. And I do believe it in some ways. I don't want to be a second guesser when they made the um, Guriel Moreno um, trade for Dalton Varsho. Like on paper, I thought that was a good deal. Like I, you know, you looked at what Dalton Varsho could be. You're thinking, all right, if he takes another step, this is a, you know, like a 30, 30 type of guy who's a great fielder. But I mean, I hate to sort of use this because it's so nebulous, but the chemistry of the clubhouse does feel different versus last year when you saw so much joy with Teoscar, Lorius Gurriel, I think even that jacket was fun. Like, I, I just, it just, like, for whatever reason, like, whenever you would see a guy hit a home run, like, the whole team was happy for the guy, and they had this goofy jacket. And they may be more professional, but again, I you go back to the word, it just seems more joyless in the, in the dugout. And I don't know if I'm just playing optics here or if it's mm-hmm. something else. What do, you, what do you think, Peter? I, you know, I, I agree with you. There's some, something seems to be missing. I don't know what it is and I don't know what's happening in the clubhouse. And I don't know what the relationship is like uh, with those players. I mean, you watch the bench when the, when they're batting and you see all the players there and you try to see well, who's talking to whom, who's, who's, who, who's standing with whom. Do they look like they're happy? Do they look like they're, you know, and every once in a while you see it, you see them studying the iPad and here you mm-hmm. should try this or try that. And I mean, that's all good, but there, it, something definitely seems to be missing. I don't know what the relationship is like with the uh, with the manager. I don't know what the uh, I, you know. I was a big I was a big fan of Dan uh, Don Manningly when he played, um, but I don't know what his relationship is with the with the with the hitters. Something's something's not going right in mm-hmm. there. Uh, and we haven't, and we haven't even uh, touched on really the big, biggest soap opera on the team, and that's Alec Manoa. You know, let's yeah. remember this was the guy that's this was the guy who was the opening day pitcher this year. Yeah. Then th- through whatever circumstance, now you know, went to back to the development league in Florida, wouldn't report to Buffalo, and now has been sidelined for the rest of the season. And the Jays have done an amazing job in my mind. I mean, you, Peter, your your background is trying to get information out of people. The Blue Jays have done an amazing job keeping this a secret. Yeah, and so is he. Um, yeah. As to what's really up here, um, well, I, I guess in some ways, what uh, it goes back to my earlier point. They've had a pretty good year pitching. You know, as Richard says, <laughs> they're fifteen games above five hundred. So you got to figure that some of that is the responsibility of the pitching. So you lose your you're, you know, one of your aces. Mm-hmm. Guy was in the, you know, he was in the Cy Young running last year, wasn't he? 
yeah. he's suddenly gone, and yet you're still winning games with with pitchers. Barrios had a great year, you know. Obviously, Bassett and um, and uh, Gosman have had uh, had good years. Gucci uh, turned around. Yeah, everybody, so, everybody's mean, gone, like, but everybody's gone flat at the same time. You know, Bassett wasn't very good on Monday night. No, he wasn't. Um, but he's been so good so often this year. Yeah. Listen, today's a big day, right? Isn't yeah. Osmond yeah. pitching today? I think. Yes. You yes. Know, you need somebody needs to stop the slot, right? Yep. You'll feel bad. I mean, well, as a Jays fan, you would feel even though you're not happy losing three or four, you will feel very, very different if they win today. Oh yeah, yeah. If you win the fourth of the three and four, yeah, you're going to be kind of set up for the weekend, and uh, and all will be yeah. better. Yeah, but look who's yeah. coming to town, though. Look who's coming to town. It's an American League East team, the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> Last yeah. I checked, the Jays have not been very good against the American League East. But you got to beat the best to be the best, right? Um, and yeah. you know, Boston's not not the best, but they're Boston, and yeah, we have right. a history. And uh, so, you know, you, you got to take the challenge in front of you. So better than beating up the Royals for an easy weekend. Yeah. Um, the uh, the one thing, and again, you know, history is what it is, but had Alec Manoa even had an average year, I'm not even talking Cy Young, like, an, like let's say he is a 10 and 10 pitcher, the, the, they are in the playoffs. Like the, we're not even, this discussion doesn't even exist. And we're more talking about, okay, can they really match up with Baltimore when it matters? You know, can they match up with Houston or Texas? That, that, that's how sort of in some ways the margin changed for the entire year. Like Peter said, this guy was expected to be your ace, potentially a Cy Young candidate. Forget even about that. Like literally had he been an average third starter this year, the, the Jays are, I would say that's six more wins. That's, that's even a conservative number. And it's just a very, very different conversation we're having. And it does make you think as they head forward that if Manoa's truly lost, like it really does change like a lot of the thought about what this team is heading forward. Because, you know, you had really penciled in him and Kevin Gausman as two guys mm -hmm. who are essentially, you know, two Cy Young caliber pitchers. And that's what you need to ultimately try to win a World Series. You need really, a, you know, a really great one and a two. I got to ask you, you uh, Peter. Yeah, I got, <laughs> yeah. I got, I got, I got to ask you. So you you touched on it a little bit earlier about um, sports fans in Toronto. You know, we've seen it too many times with the Maple Leafs. We've we we've witnessed it a few times now with the Jays. Hey, including last year, losing their little playoff series against Seattle. Um, but truly, are are Toronto sports fans hard when you compare them to other cities, even in our own country? Are Toronto fans overly critical, do you think? Or are they just simply just beaten down? No, I think they're, they're just fans, right? I mean, I, I, it's a big city. We, we want winners. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm as bad as anybody else. You know, like I, mean, I got season tickets to the Leafs and to the Raptors. And so I'm, I, I'm demanding as well. And at the end of the season last year on the Leafs, I thought, oh, you know, am I going to, give up on these tickets i mean i have 75 this year like how the hell i mean i remember 67 right i mean i was there watching <laughs> not at, in the arena but you know on television but um 
am I ever going to see another one? And, you know, I was, uh, it, it was a crazy uh, spring and early summer. I mean, I was a Dubas fan. I liked Kyle Dubas. Um, and I was horrified at the way that ended and still don't know exactly what happened. I mean, we all have our theories, but it was enough to get you down mm. on, on the place, on the team. Um, but here it is, you know, it's <laughs> middle of September. They're going to boys are going to be back on the rink in a couple of weeks. And I'm going, okay, all right. I mean, we may have something going here and it was time for a change in some areas. So like, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm ready for it. So I, you know, I, I won't be selling my tickets anytime soon, but I mean, you think as fans where, you know, as Richard said, you got a right to demand certain things and react in certain ways when, when you don't get it. And listen, in this town, as opposed to most of the other cities in a lot of places in, across North America, we pay a hell of a lot for tickets. And, you know, if you can't sit there and say, come on, you, you know, do better. Um, I think that's okay. The booing stuff, I think you, you got to put it in perspective. If, if we were, uh, you know, if those numbers on win loss were reversed, mm. then the booing, I understand. But as, as you both said, you know, with a, what is it? 15 game uh, spread in favor of the win column, you know, it's not been an awful year, <laughs> let's face it. Yeah, but in 2023, uh, I, 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 look at, I look at Toronto sports fans, and it's difficult to measure baseball because baseball, really, there's, it's a national team. It's not just Toronto. It's, it's the country, and the same with the Raptors. But in hockey, uh, I, I, think, I think Toronto fans are middle of the road. I don't think they're near as critical um, as, say, Montreal fans. And you know, Montreal fans are in a bit of a a mix right now because they've been told they're rebuilding and they've bought into the rebuild. But you go to Vancouver and and the Canucks go on a three game skid. It is like living hell for anybody in the Canuck front office. You go to Edmonton and if Connor you know doesn't get points in three straight games, it is living hell in Edmonton. Toronto, maybe there are more distractions. Maybe there are other things. I mean, I I I. I I I just see I see the Maple Leafs now just skating along at times with their fan base. Don't you? No, I I actually don't agree with you there. I think we're like what you described in Vancouver and Edmonton. <laughs> you know, you go on a bit of a skid in in this town, and uh, and people are antsy. The hotline shows go crazy. The sports shows go crazy. The fans are wondering what the heck is going on. Should we get rid of the coach? The coaches, you know, has there been a Toronto coach ever, even Imlac, who had his record as good as Keith over time? Over his well, I hate, to I hate to tell you, Mike Babcock. <laughs> it wasn't as good as Keith's. It's pretty close, I bet you. We'll get, our, we'll get our, our crack research department building that one. But I think it's pretty damn close. You know the uh, the one. I wonder if you, how you guys feel about this. This is my sort of theory, and uh, you know, some of it sort of comes from having grown up in New York. And I, I saw this here. Peter mentioned something earlier that um, the Raptors fan base, particularly the crowd, is different than mm -hmm. the Leafs and the Jays. They don't boo. And maybe on first glance, you might think, oh, "All right, well, it's a younger crowd, right? It's uh, it's more." Gen Z millennials, and maybe they just sort of approach things differently. 
Yeah, maybe they do. Maybe much they don't. More, much more diverse, too. Much more diverse, much more. 100%. And I think maybe there's some truth to that. But I think this is what it, it is more, and I wanted to get your guys' feedback. I think there is a residual effect from winning a championship that lasts a lot longer than you might think, and that the franchise in some ways gets the benefit of the doubt. Even though Raptors fans are very unhappy or were very unhappy last year with the state of the team, and they don't look like they're going to be a title contender soon. It's just different with the Leafs in particular, in that there's this thought process like, here we go again, this franchise is cursed, we're never going to win. And even though the Raptors championship now is whatever it is, four or five years ago, I just think right that changes the whole mindset of a fan base, where there at least is belief that it can be done because it happened. And that, to me, is where I think fan bases are different. And I lived in Buffalo for many years, and Bills fans are very similar to Leafs fans, is that in some ways they think they're cursed, or when it should be the year and it's not, it feels a lot worse. And so that's sort of my theory, at least when it comes to the Maple Leaf fan base, is that it's been such a long time since it happened that you don't really have the belief that it's possible where at least the Raptors fan base, you know, they lived through it. They saw it, they had a parade. Um, and I think there is something to that. I just, I think that, um, that you can get a lot of residual something from a championship and that lasts much longer than just the next year or the next year. I think that has, like Royals fans, like they wanted, they were there and what they won in 2015. And we're like, you know, it's, it's no. nine years ago. It may seem like, or eight years ago, it may seem like a long time, but it happened within the course of their life. Do you know what I'm saying, Peter? Do you buy any of that? I do buy it. I think you got a point there. I think you got a really good point. Um, the Raptors fans uh, know it because they can still feel it. You know, they were probably in that crowd or at least claim now they were in the crowd. Uh, so they still feel that. Uh, and today they don't expect them to be the championship team. They're looking for, you know, things to cheer about. Um, the new, the new draft pick seems like a heck of a nice guy that, uh, um, everybody, I, my son was out working with him the other night, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, some, uh, television work they're doing together. Um, and said of all the athletes he's worked with, and he's worked with a lot over the last three years, this guy is miles ahead, the nicest, the most accommodating, uh, you know, funny, likable, all of those things. Um, unfortunately, I can't remember his name. Tracy? Yeah, Grady Dick. Great, 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 Grady Dick. Grady Dick, right. Um, anyway, so the, we're taking pleasures in smaller things than championships. The Leafs, of course... We got Austin Matthews, and we filled out around him in the core, and we and we we figured, okay, this is it. Finally, we are going to do it. Um, and so it's a little different. And and Richard's bang on. You know, it's been so long. Most most of people, their lifetimes are not like mine, and they don't remember what that was all like. And it's just a kind of a bad joke to uh, to most Toronto fans. That well, hold so on long. though. Hold on. Hold on here. So so let's let's take a look at the Jays. And, and the Maple Leafs that way. We have, and I, I know one guy really well, and I don't know the other guy at all, but we have glorified Doug Gilmore as a Toronto Maple Leaf for 30 years. For 30 years. He, Doug has been able to earn a living for 30 years by getting to the third round of the playoffs. 
<laughs> Jose Bautista's name is up on the ring of honor for a bat flip in the first round of the playoffs. No World Series, no Stanley Cups. They are, they are just grasping at anything they can find for the hockey team and the baseball team in order to find a winner. It is fascinating. I mean, and, that, and, that's, and that's what happens. And Peter, you've heard this millions of times. When you talk to somebody in the hockey world, we saw it with our pal Brian Burke for years. Just imagine if I win in Toronto. Cliff Fletcher used to say it. Imagine if we can turn it around and I win here. I won't have to buy dinner for myself for the rest of my life. They are just they are just crying for that victory. And so we, we, we've glorified great people in Toronto, and they've won squat. They really have. They have won nothing in baseball and hockey. Well, baseball, it wasn't that long ago. We went back-to-back, -back, right? Um, uh, that was 90. Two and ninety-three, yeah, Peter. 30 that years, was 30, yeah. thirty years ago. That you, you are yesterday. <laughs> so ninety-two and ninety-three are actually closer to sixty-seven than they are to twenty twenty-three. Just uh, for the record. Good, 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 good pull there. <laughs> well, I bet you Dougie hasn't bought a meal in Toronto since his glory years in spite of the fact that glory didn't go all the way because everybody attaches it to the bad call by uh, what's his oh, name oh carry for carry fraser yeah carry fraser yeah um, <laughs> so, but uh no yeah i mean you're you're both uh, right to a degree um i you know i haven't given up on the leafs i still think they've got some really good players and if they can you know, if they can get their uh, their act together uh, when it gets to the end of the season, because they're pretty good during the season. They're very good during the season. Uh, but if something happens in the playoffs, um, you know, we mentioned Keefe a little while ago. And I, the, the only thing I'll say about Keefe is when it gets to the playoffs, he does not look like the confident hockey coach you see during the season. Mm -hmm. He looks like he's on edge. He doesn't look comfortable to me. Well, I think the whole um, franchise is on edge, don't you think? That's part of it. Because of the stakes. Yeah, because because you know, because especially because so Toronto. much has been made about the playoffs in this market. I'm not saying it's not the case in other markets, but it really is the case in this market. And then one thing, John, just wanted to bring up because I, I think it's interesting about the sort of the glorification of Doug Gilmore and some of these players from the eighties and nineties. The reason why I think you have a different feeling for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner is the age is so different in an age of social media where you're inundated with information about these guys, like by the second, you have every analytic possible to sort of explain to you why uh, Austin Matthews is not worth this money, but worth this money. It just gives you a different kind of, feel for the players where in some ways, even though obviously newspapers were bigger and television was bigger, you romanticize the Gilmore era a little bit because the, the information overload wasn't the same. And so I do think that these guys, particularly in this market, they have a harder time than the players, the Leafs had in the nineties or the eighties, just because the, the stakes are so much higher. And that's where it gets to what you're saying, Peter, about Sheldon Keith is, Sheldon Keith knows full well that in, in in almost every way he's just being judged essentially on those 16 games, 
right? Like he could go 80 and 0. And if the Leafs lose in the first round, they'll say he's a terrible coach. That that is almost an impossible standard to to play with. You have to it's essentially win or bust, which is in sport professional sports almost impossible. Yeah, you wouldn't have um you wouldn't have the repeat you saw in Tampa what a couple of years ago didn't john cooper they won the season yeah, handily yeah. and then lost in four in a row in the first round yep. or straight to columbus yeah yeah but there he was the next year back and winning a cup right because uh, they just because they because they because they care about college football there Peter. you know it's, it's, not, it's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's not on the front <laughs> but the same was true of boston last year did they wish yeah. the coach after blowing the first round no oh in fact they he was coach of the year Yep, in the National Hockey League, Jim Montgomery. Of course, was. that that sometimes is is something you don't want to win because <laughs> the track, record, track yeah. record for coaches of the year is not great. No, that's right. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a quick break. Peter Mansbridge is with us. Uh, maybe we might divert a little bit. We've talked uh, we've talked thirty minutes about sports. We might continue the sports talk, but also uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in the. In the real world, the sandbox is fun to play in, but sometimes you have to get out of the sandbox and wash your feet. This is the McCowan Podcast with Richard Deitch, Peter Mansbridge, the guest today, back after this. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast. Richard Deitch in for Bob this week, joined by the great Peter Mansbridge. I, I got to ask you, Peter, and, and we, we, we can get back to sports at any point. Um, we are in a polarized world, or polarized news world, polarized political world uh is this a good time to be a a news anchor or is are you happier on the sidelines uh listen i'm very happy on the sidelines my sidelines are very busy between between doing yeah. my podcast and, and show for serious um you know i'm doing a bunch of other things as well so i i'm, I'm actually busier now than i was when i was anchoring the national but the question is a really important one because we live in a in a world that has very rapidly become so different than the one we grew up in that most of us grew up in, um, where the sense was that the goal in politics and the goal of a good leader was to find ways of of moving the ball forward, right? Trying to work with not only their own team, their own party but others as well. They were always going to disagree on key things, but there was, you know, it had to be a certain degree of movement uh, to achieve big things. That doesn't happen anymore. And in fact, nobody even wants that in terms of the political, um, uh, those who are in the, in, the, in the role of strategy. I heard somebody say the other day that unity, in other words, getting along together is a loser. If you push that, if you put, I, I can be the great uniter, you're going to lose. If you push, I'm going to be the great divider, you're going to win. So unity is a loser and um, division is a winner. Now, that's not what any of the three of us grew up thinking. No. But that appears to be the way that, that things are developing and not just uh, south of our border, but here as well. And I'm not singling at one party here because they're all playing the same kind of game to a degree. There's different degrees in, in, in the game, but they're all playing that same kind of game. 
you know, I, you know, I saw, you know, Richard pointed out yesterday in his, uh, what do you call it? An X feed. You call it the X feed now in one yeah, of Richard's no, I, so I'm, uh, I'm still, I'm going to call it Twitter until, until the end, Peter. I don't care what Elon. Okay. Well, I, I saw one of your, your tweets yesterday where you talked about Romney and yeah. getting out and getting out because he just, he doesn't see it anymore that this is something he wants to be involved with. It's not the party he grew up in. It's not the direction he, he was, you know, arguing for. And here's a guy who was presidential candidate for the Republican Party, you know, a decade ago, it's not that long ago. Yeah. And here he is saying, I'm out of here. Now he's, you know, getting older, although he's young compared with the two, two are running for the presidency now, but he's 76. And he figures I got better things to do with my life than watch things disintegrate here in terms of trying to achieve success for the American people. So like, I find it very depressing. Some people find it encouraging and, uh, you know, and inspiring. I don't, it's just like, it's not a bone in my body that grew up thinking this way, but that's the sort of the way it is sort of consensus compromise. That's sort of, you know, even Pence said the other day, I remember which one of those two words he used, but was, you know, consensus is not leadership. Compromise is not leadership. Like what the hell, what happened? <laughs> yeah. I want to, so I'm glad you brought this up. Cause I don't get, I don't get to talk about this a lot. Um, and trust me, once my current employers run me out the door, I'll, I'll be talking about it a lot more because I'll be unshackled. I'll be poorer, but I'll be unshackled. Um, one of the things, and I feel like I have a unique perspective on this because I think everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I'm an American. I grew up in New York, and then I moved to Toronto in 2018. So, I, I, And I vote in the United States. I don't vote in Canada. Um, happy to be a permanent resident here, but I can't vote yet. Um, and so, Peter, one of the things I see that is really – you talk about depressing I have seen American style politics creeping into this country at now a much rapider pace in the last five to six years. And any person who even cares about my opinion, I tell them, I cannot tell you how dangerous this is. Like I grew up in this. Like I know I can see what your future is. Like I promise you, I, I have the magic eight ball here because I have lived it. And what sort of is a little depressing to me is that I do think there's a lot of Canadians who would be happy with an endless campaign, the way they have endless campaigns in the United States. And I see a lot of times the CBC being attacked, obviously for political purposes. And it frustrates me to the nth degree because I live in a universe or I grew up in a universe where, where the cable networks are total, totally about conflict and about polarization and keeping you engaged to watch because it's more of a game than to educate. And I still feel like the CBC, generally speaking, educates you as a consumer. And so what I would ask you, obviously, as somebody who had such a prominent position in this country, is is it reversible? Do you see any possibility of at least pushing back on the Americanization of Canadian politics? Because I can tell you that is, a, in my, I mean, again, it's just one knucklehead's opinion. It is a, a disastrous path to follow. And if you are not paying attention and not seeing what politics are in the U.S., why on earth would you want that in your in your ether in your in your atmosphere? <laughs> well, it comes down to leadership, right? Uh, uh, you know, leaders can can reverse this. 
if they so choose. But there are a lot of pressures to go along with this flow because it's worth tons of money. I mean, the Conservative Party, which is not unusual for an opposition party, are pushing division. They're pushing, um, you know, a high degree of, uh, of at times outrageous criticism because it raises money. And they've raised millions and millions of they're so far ahead of the other parties combined it, it isn't funny so you're going to see as long as that works to raise money i, I assume they assume it's going to work to raise to to encourage votes too i mean look at look at the latest polls where not polls close. are polls yeah. yeah it's not close at all so you know, there's a new one this morning 15 points 15 points between the conservatives and the uh, and the liberals, um, if that was to happen, it would be a, a majority government of uh, a size we haven't seen since uh, Mulroney. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be you know, be crowding fifty percent of the vote, but there is no vote, and summer polls, and we're still basically in summer, aren't worth a heck of a lot. Um, Parliament gets going again next week. We'll see what happens. This Trudeau's under a lot of pressure as it should be leading a party and a government that is that far behind and held in such disdain by a lot of Canadians. So while division works, the, uh, the pressure to change it is, is less. And the pressure for the, those who are losing is to get in the game. I mean, you've seen it a little bit. Um, are we allowed to swear on this show? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And keep track of my podcast here. Uh, but you had you had uh, Mark Miller, who's um, the Minister of Immigration and a good guy, guy I, I have a lot of time for. He did the Indigenous file for the last four or five years or, more, or longer. Anyway, he's a believer that if they're going to go up against and uh, make a race out of this, they're going to have to be much tougher. And so last week in a, in a speech or an interview, he called uh, Polyev a serial bullshitter. Well, is that what it's going to take now? Um, you know, to try and slow the momentum of the other side? I mean, you're going to have to back it up with facts. Mm -hmm. And there, there are some facts to go well, well, no, there. Just a minute, just a minute. Why? Yeah. I'm, and I'm being the devil's advocate. Other people don't have to back it up with facts. Why would he have to? Because that, that's really, that, that, that is, because I can talk directly. If I'm, a, if I'm a candidate, if I'm a candidate now, I don't have to stand on a dais and do a speech in front of my constituents. And this is, this is the same thing in sports. We found this in sports now. Teams and players can talk directly to the consumer. Politicians can talk directly to their voters without going through the regular conduit of radio and television and newspaper. And there's no facts checkers when you're on Twitter at this point or X well, or whatever you want to call it. And that's, yeah. that's really, the, that's a huge challenge on any of it. I mean, look at the Mike Babcock situation in, in, uh, in Columbus, the last two or three days, look what, look what that's, look at the, uh, the life that that story has has generated through a podcast, through a Twitter war, um, through a press release, 
you know, without backing up, without sources, without second sources. I mean, it, it is fascinating that our whole world has been set upside down, not just in politics, but in sports as well. But charges with facts are much more impressive and can have a much bigger impact than charges without, as, we, as we've seen from, you know, uh, what the Spit and Chicklets podcast has done and the controversy that surrounded it um, and the question of facts and what, you know, what the, the, the individuals directly involved are, are, are saying. Um, but in politics, you know, you're right. I mean, there's lots of stuff out there right now by leading politicians who are making claims about the other guys, whoever those guys happen to be that don't stand up to any real inspection. So if you make the charges and they do stand up, one assumes they're gonna have a, a bigger impact. But the mindset is so strong and so set on the part of a lot of people in Canada, which kind of follows what Richard's saying in terms of what we've witnessed develop in the States over the, the last 10 years anyway, um, that it's kind of scary. You can confront people with the facts to knock down their argument and it doesn't matter. They right. don't care. Yeah. They have their belief and uh, they're gonna, they're sticking to it. I mean, I'm sure you see it in the, in the mail you get, I got a lot of mail um, and uh, boy, the hardcore <laughs> when, when they're, uh, when they're believers, they don't want to hear anything that's going to challenge what they're saying. Yeah. And that to me, and again, I'll take it from a, U.S. perspective, that that's that's a significant change. There, there always has there will, you know, there always has been people who sort of believe what they believe, and you know, who are knee deep into conspiracies or knee deep into, you know, things that are verifiably false. But that's changed in the last, certainly in the Trump year, and it's now. You're right, Peter. It's the to be part of something, and I'll use it specifically with Trump. To be part of whatever you believe Donald Trump is is more important than objective, uh, objectifiable facts that can be proven. And it's as uh, if that being part of a team, if that's the right phrase, is the most important thing. And that's a big one that changed in my lifetime. Um, and it's, you know, it used to be sort of be like, don't be party over country. I feel like it's in many ways now personality over country, personality over party. And that's a very dangerous place to be just because if you know anything about history, particularly like, you know, modern history, 30s, 40s, 50s, history tells you where that ultimately can lead to. But uh, it's very frustrating because you find yourself just, trying to even make the effort and you're not going anywhere and then that inevitably leads to well then you just end up in your own bubbles and nobody's really talking and polarization happens and then you find yourself with some in a really really dangerous place and again i don't proclaim to be any kind of canadian expert at all um but i want to believe that this country is still strong enough to have that shared community which i think has always been the greatest thing about canada as a country that this is like why they always rate highest on health surveys and quality of life and stuff is because there's 
Like it's a real community um, where the United States is not that anymore. I'd like, I hope as an American, it becomes that again, but I, you'd just be naive to say that's what it is in the U S and that's, I guess that's where I sit. Well, you remember what our parents and our grandparents used to tell us as we were growing up and we were going to school and we were, you know, spending our time uh, doing things that weren't necessarily studying. And they used to say, read history, study history, because if you don't, you're going to repeat it. And it's a simple statement, but it's true. And when you talk about, you know, look back, watch, you called it the beginning of the modern era, I guess, for a lot of people now, it really is not the modern era anymore. But when you look back 100 years and watch the flow, it's not, you know, we've changed lots, obviously, as a society on a lot of different things, but some things are still true. And studying that period is worth it right now. It really should be. All right, going to throw you a curveball before we let you go. What are you okay. reading? What are you reading these days? You got a book book I on just, the top of your I list? Just, I, I just finished a fantastic book, literally just finished it, uh, called The Wager. Now, there's a big movie coming out this fall on uh, kind of the beginnings of the FBI. Um, same author wrote The Wager. And it's if, if you like old seafaring stories, this is a fantastic one. And it's basically true in, in terms of incredible research done on it. If you, if you saw the movie The Master and Commander, uh, you'll be ready for this book. It's a great book, a lot, I, a lot of fun. I'm, I usually reading uh, half a dozen books uh, at the same time because uh, I'm back and forth between Scotland and Stratford and Toronto and sort of I got a, a book at each bedside table. So, I, you know, I still read a lot of Second World War stuff. I'm reading a, uh, a book right now on the relationship between uh, Churchill and um, uh, FDR. And there's a great book out right now by Charlotte Gray. Uh, it's coming out this fall. That's um, getting incredible reviews. That's about Churchill and FDR's mothers and how they've really set the tone for not only what their sons did, but the way the world unfolded through the, the years that their sons had so, uh, such influence. Well, Churchill's uh, mother was American, uh, right? Churchill's mother was American, correct? And, yeah. Yeah. And so that would make sense. He was an aristocratic American, and obviously the Roosevelt family was as aristocratic as you can get at that point in the United States. So that would mm -hmm. that would make some sense. I can't remember the the, the Arthur, but uh, I want to say uh, the the last one I wrote that I read that I just loved was uh, uh, Jensen wrote about the the, the uh, about uh, how Churchill managed the war uh, in. Um, in 1940 through 43, uh, right. I'm going to kill myself. The servant in the vial, or something like that. That was uh, it, it. Was just an outstanding book. I don't read very much, but World War World War II books and Churchill fascinate me with leadership because that's all we're crying for these days. Peter is some good leadership, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, and leadership is. You know, we toss that word around whether it's on our sports teams we watch or whether it's in our politics and the governments. Um, but it is, it's not easy. Leadership is 
incredibly challenging and trying to find the right people uh, to, uh, to perform great leadership um, is something that we're all looking for. You know, leadership, you know, in some ways it's simple. It's basically having a vision of where you want to go and being able to convince others to not only follow you there, but to help you get there. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it is exactly what we're looking for. But if you're looking for a good book, John, you know, one that you'll take with you all, my, my latest book is coming out this fall. So, and it, oh, it's I, the title. I have a copy of mine for you. I have a copy of mine for you too, Mansbridge. Okay. It'll <laughs> be a good trade. Mine's called <laughs> How Canada Works. And it's, it's, it's an interesting take at a time we're all saying that, you know, the country doesn't work anymore. This is not political. It's not taking sides on that front. But I, I'm a great believer that the country works not because of its politicians or its business leaders or its, you know, academics or, or, or celebrities of any kind. It's because of the, the kind of the everyday people who do the you know, jobs that make the country tick. And uh, so this book is a kind of a profile of an, almost 30 people like that from across the country who do everything from, you know, uh, high rise window washing to uh, funeral directing to air traffic control, uh, you name it. It's a, there's a lot of interesting uh, profiles there. By the way, two things. First of all, uh, the name of the book that I was talking about is The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. Yeah. Is an outstanding book about that time uh, during the, the London Blitz, the Churchill really yeah. took control of the country. Um, and uh, it, either your copy of uh, Evolve or Die, as you know, if you have nine jobs, like I've had nine jobs, you evolve or you die, uh, is in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I'm, I'm looking forward to the reading that. You're John in it. So you're, you're in it. So, As, as John said earlier, we, uh, we worked together at uh, the Mother Corp. Uh, back in the day, and uh, had lots of uh, lots of interesting times, and some of them someday we'll even talk about. <laughs> well, Richard, I got to tell you, man, if, if for a guy who was the number one guy on the national news in the CBC, he was very giving of his airtime to our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I couldn't hand it over fast enough. Sure, sure. Let's have a hockey bounce the news again tonight. That's how. You, that's how you got. That's how you know, John. That's how you know, John. He's not American. That's that's that's. <laughs> Thanks for this, Peter. Thank you. Great to talk to you both, Richard. John, take care. That's Peter Mansbridge, the voice of CBC News for oh so many years. Richard and I'll be back after this. This is the McCowan podcast. Now I have to go and buy a, uh, another copy of my book, Richard, to send to Mansbridge because I've run out of giveaways. So that's, uh, but that's okay. I, you know, he, if, he, if he reads it on the plane or at his, you know, his summer place in Scotland, then, you know, that's, a, that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, there is one upside to this Texas Blue Jays series. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, this is a cup half full opinion right now, Richard. We are watching the evolution of one of the next great stars in baseball in watching the Texas Rangers outfielder, Evan Carter. Because this guy who hit his first home run uh, on Monday, another, uh, another hit last night, RBI, he's hitting 357 for the series. He's only been at bat 14 times in his career, and they're all in this series. 
This guy is going to be a star at 21 years old. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. And in many ways, with the, you know, the free fall that the Rangers were in, you know, to bring him up and have him play in the outfield the way he has has changed an outlook because there's a lot of things that have not gone well for the Rangers. Evan Carter is a star. They have a good-looking lineup. Simeon, Seeger, if Evan Carter comes through, I think I like their catcher actually as a hitter, Mitch Garver. They can hit. That's the one thing. And, you know, the reason why they brought in, you know, Max Scherzer, who's now out for the year, um, yeah. Jeff Montgomery was they, the one thing they lacked is, is they needed, they needed some top line starting pitchers. So they should be able to hit for the rest of the year. The question will be their, their pitching, but I agree with you. That guy, that guy looks like, that guy looks like a star in the making. I agree. Yeah. Gonna be, uh, it will be fascinating. Most people will have listened to this before or after uh, the fourth game of the series occurs, but you have to, you know, if you're a Jays fan, this is uh, edge of the seat time before the Boston Red Sox uh, come to town. And we will talk more baseball tomorrow with the great John Gibbons, who will join us from San Antonio, Texas. Love it. That's Richard Deitch. I'm John Shannon. This is the McCowan Podcast. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank <laughs> you.